On Sunday night in San Francisco, golf crowned its first men's major champion in more than 12 months. And a California kid is the new star in the game of golf. In some ways, it didn't quite seem like a major. There were no fans on site, save for a few volunteers, some nosy neighbors, and for some reason, Steph Curry. But as the day wore on, the competition more than made up for the lack of atmosphere. At one point, seven players were tied for the lead at TPC Harding Park. And one eventually emerged from the pack with one of the most memorable shots in recent major championship history. It looks like a wow. It's brilliant, Nick. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Best of all, our Alan Shipnick was there to witness the entire scene in person. And he's here now to tell us all about it. I'm Dylan DeChair, and this is The Drop Zone. All right, Alan, you're joining me from the media center at the PGA Championship. And I guess the first thing I want to know is, does it feel like you're at a major? Well, the the tension of the final round uh, was there. You know, generally speaking, uh, when especially when the leaderboard is that packed, uh, reporters are, are stuck in the pressure in front of the TV because you have to see what's going on. So many Sundays I sit in the press room and uh, there's a little hoot and hollering and Twitter's melting and there's so much happening on TV and you get into it. And so for most of the day, yeah, it felt like I was at a lot of other majors. Then I run, run out to watch some golf. It's like, oh my God, it's dead out here. <laughs> like it was, um, so it was kind of this dichotomy. Um, luckily, all the off-duty volunteers and various hangers-on started gathering at 18. So like when, when Morikawa putted, there was you know, putted out to finish this round, there was probably... 250 people around the greens so he got some cheers and there was a, a hint of ambiance mm-hmm. you know just watching it writing about it thinking about it I, I felt the magnitude of the moment especially with the, all the craziness of you know, seven guys tied on the back nine and all that but yeah as soon as you went out to the actual golf course and got to see it with your own eyes I was like man this is weird so it's, it's a strange Sunday but ultimately you know satisfying I think for most of us all right, so let's zoom in just on Sunday here. I want I want you to take me to uh, the start of Sunday and what the most intriguing storylines were going into the day. Because I, I know you wrote about this last night a little bit, just setting up the final round. What were you most interested to to see going to Sunday? I mean, you had to start with with Dustin and Brooks. Um, you know, they're they're part of this weird little psychodrama this week, where Brooks has kind of intimated that maybe him and Dustin weren't really friends after all. And, um, and he's talking trash and he's, he's liking things on the gram that are mocking Dustin. And it's just, Brooks is like, it's getting weird, man. And, um, but that's okay. It makes it more interesting, but it's like covering the NBA all of a sudden. It's this one little corner of NBA coverage in golf. That's exactly right. I mean, this is common in other sports and the NBA is the best at it, but, uh, it's golf. It's not really a thing. And Roy McIlroy talked about that today. Like it just, it just feels strange for golf. Um, uh, but yeah, so uh, could Dustin close and could Brooks come, come back and make history? I mean, those, those were the obvious storylines. And you had the, all these really interesting secondary characters. Uh, it, was, it was already shaping up as, as a really good Sunday. And then the fireworks started. I, I want to focus in on a couple of guys just very quickly because in your recap you there, you didn't even happen to mention Bryson DeChambeau, who is, of course, maybe the most compelling figure in the game right now. He started off birdie birdie on one and two quickly got to a share of the lead and uh you know was really looking like he could be a factor yeah i mean bryson buried for the first seven that got him 
the top of the leaderboard. It was like, here we go. Oh. He calculates his backswing to the inch for the footage on it on those parts. And they are reading off the correct page yeah. right now. It was, a, it was a big moment in his life, in his career. And then bogey, bogey, and a really ugly par on a par five after a 359-yard drive. It was like he just shrank from the moment instantaneously. And it wasn't like he'd been scraping it around. I mean, he was throwing birdies out there to start the round. Um, and then, you know, a bunch of guys zoomed past him. And then, you know, to his credit, Bryson fought back. And um, – but it was it was too little too late so overall it was a, a success you know he is by mm -hmm. far his never finished better than 25th in a major and right on a, a penal golf course like this with the rough you know try and translate his new style of play now, we have to say it was a success but J jason day answered the question perfectly like, you know basically what did it take today to win and he said you had to be perfect and only one guy was and, and that, that was more mm -hmm. in yeah, I mean, so let's let's go then to that moment where all of a sudden uh, there were seven guys tied for the lead midway through the back nine. We had Scotty Scheffler was tied for the lead, and he, he couldn't even fit on the first page of the leaderboard. I don't ever remember, you know, I mean, look, there's always log jams. Well, not always, but it, it's glorious fun when there are log jams on the back nine of major championships on Sundays. But to have seven guys, I, I don't remember that. Yeah, the 2011 Masters is the only thing that compares recently. On that day, eight different guys had a share of the lead. Uh, and there was a few times when four or five, I mean, maybe even six, uh, but they never got seven at the same time. I mean, for just a, a dense, a density on the leaderboard, uh, this might stand alone. I mean, it was really, Dustin had the lead for maybe three holes by himself, maybe four early middle of the front nine, but... Then there was always a log jam, two players, three players, four, five. Uh, and right when we got to seven and it was like this, it's a playoff seemed inevitable. Yeah. Was there any, at that point though, was there anyone that seemed like an obvious winner at any point in the day? Was there anyone that seemed like an obvious winner before that seven way tie? I mean, not, I, I kept going back to Dustin because he actually reminded me so much of Schwartzel in 2011. <laughs> but people forget about Charles. He made like 10, he made 10 straight pars in the middle of that round. And Edwin was doing all these fireworks. He was just kind of hanging in there, hanging in there, and then bang, you know, finished all those birdies to win it. And I kind of felt like Dustin's doing the same thing. I mean, the, the, the way that um, this golf course is sequenced, you know, um, 10, is, 10 is a great opportunity. 16 was a great opportunity. You know, the back nine was a little more scoreable in the front. So Dustin, by being in the, in the, in the, the last tee time, was always going to have the last, you know, the last bite of the apple. And so... I just kind of had this feeling that he was he was just going to sneak in there, but um, he started going backwards. So, no, there was really you could not identify a favorite any one moment. So then you go you go you go to you go to Morikawa on on fourteen, you know he's like the greatest iron player since uh, Byron Nelson or something, and <laughs> um, he comes up twenty yards short out of the fairway with a nine iron in his hand. Like that was that was an unbelievably bad shot. It yeah. Crunched, I actually tweeted like. Oh, it's too bad Johnny Miller's not here because he would have used his favorite line. That's pressure, Rods, you know. And um, <laughs> uh, and then set, and work out who's not even that great uh, around the greens. No. And then holds that shot. And if you watch the replay, it looks a little scoopy. Like go back and watch his action. <laughs> oh he no. He kind of got like a lucky little skidding bounce off the downslope. I mean. All credit to him is where he's aiming. But this is a little truthish. I didn't even realize we were getting to this point. But yeah, that's the great irony of this whole thing. 
Morikawa on 14 is tied for the lead. It's like, okay, who is, how is this seven-way log jam going to break? And it, it looked like it was going to go the other way. It was like, oh, here, this Morikawa just hit a 150-yard shot, 130 yards. Maybe he's going to slip out of things here. And instead, this thing rolled in like a putt. Yeah, that, that was the thunderbolt. And um, and so that, that, that pushed his nose ahead by one stroke. And Yeah, all right. So so tell me, who is Colin Morikawa? Because, you know, the, the casual golf fan has now heard of him. He won, obviously, beat JT at the workday. Um, but if you're someone that's only tuning in for major championships, what are the Cliffs notes on this guy? I mean, he, he's been a can't-miss kid for a while. He won a, a bunch of the most important uh, amateur events. Uh, had a great career at Cal, won the Pac-12 championship in, uh, in 2019, turned pro, won almost right away on the tour, won again this year. Um, you know, he's he's been building, and he's just one of those guys, he's, his game translates to any course because he hits it so straight off the tee, mm-hmm. so precise with his irons. I mean, that, that works literally anywhere. And very mature, very unflappable, uh, has, has a you know, he's a really smart guy and has, has a very high golf IQ. And so he's got all the intangibles and he's, he's, his physical game is terrific. And I was like, can he handle, you know, there's only a second major he's ever played in. Could he handle this pressure? After that shot on 14, you know, from the fair, he's like, nah, he can't. <laughs> but uh, quickly proved us wrong. And then, yeah. so then he, you know, 16 short par four drivable was always going to loom really large in the finish. And he kind of got there first uh, among the, the, the players who mattered. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a, a lot of the really long guys, the Cam Champs and the Brysons, it, it was an awkward yardage because their drivers actually went too far. And right. Maury Cow is 30 yards shorter than, than those guys. And um, but what's interesting is he hadn't, he hadn't gone for that green all week. He'd been laying up because he just felt the risk was too high and he had a better chance of making birdie um, by laying up. But, um, you know, it was, it was, a, it was, he had to seize the moment and he did. Top tracer, powered by Top Golf. Well, it looks like a wow. Oh, it's brilliant, Nick. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But you have to really respect the decision to go for it, like to break the game plan with everything riding on it. Uh, it tells you a lot about that guy and not only his, not only the courage, but, um, you know that, that that's an example of the intellect like okay we have a plan but we, we need to we need to adapt we need to adjust to the moment and uh it was an you know instantly classic shot just curled up there to seven feet made the putt and this thing was over it went from this giddy free-for-all to man this is over in about 20 minutes and uh so it was kind of stunning how how swiftly it changed it reminded me a little bit of of frankie molinari at the 2018 open championship where you know there were all these big names the lead was going back and forth tiger was in the lead for a minute and then all of a sudden it went from you know inevitable playoff to wait a minute this guy's he's up two shots now and and all of a sudden it was over but morikawa really happened with that punctuation mark 16th hole i i don't even know how with a driver i mean obviously there's an element of luck to the whole thing but the guy is just such nails. I mean, he did this at four, at number 14 at Muirfield Village um, a few weeks ago when he won there. He, he hit driver on the green there from 310 yards. And like you said, it's just like he's hitting a, you know, a short iron with the precision he has with that driver off the tee. It was insane. And, then, and that putt, too. The putt rolled, could not have rolled more end over end into the center of the hole. 
Wow. Wow. Yeah, center. And, and so that's what's interesting. He's been working on his putting a lot. And, um, you know, he finished first in strokes gained putting this week. Also in um, driving accuracy, also in proximity to the hole with his approach shots. That's literally an unbeatable combination. And <laughs> he can, you know, guys who win often have great putting weeks. But if he can putt at a higher level than he has at this point, it's going to be scary. I mean, he's won three times um, already, and sky's the limit. You know, it's you know, Memorial is, and, and Harding, those are by far the two toughest courses, two toughest setups that the tour has seen since the, the restart. And, you know, he's prevailed at both. You know, he's obviously a little power disadvantage at Augusta National, but so was Zach Johnson, so was Trevor Illman. I mean, there's a lot of ways to win there. Um, so, I mean, there's literally not a, a – a golf course that doesn't suit him. So it's going to be fun to see how he mm-hmm. builds on this. I mean, I think he's, he's going to have a, this phenomenal career and this is only the start. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think of characters that you've written about over the course of your career. I think about even just on Friday, you wrote a, an awesome column on how Tong Lee, um, who, you know, not that he has skeletons in the closet, but he certainly has these personality quirks and funny things that he did at the president's cup and, you know, getting rid of his caddy and, scrolling his Instagram feed while Ernie Els is giving speeches and, you know, this and that, saying his his playing partners are hitting shitty shots. Colin Morikawa does not seem to have any sorts of skeletons in the closet from what I can tell. Did you learn anything about his personality interviewing him this week, hearing him in his, in his winner's press conference or anything like that? Is he pretty much bulletproof? I mean, he, he's 23 going on the Champions Tour. I mean, this, he's the, the most mature 23-year-old on the planet. And um, so, yeah, like, a guy like, like Hao Tung Lee makes, makes his – there's a lot of turbulence in his life, you know, self-inflicted, not just the world around him, but even within a round of golf. You know, he's kind of has this go-for-broke player, and he's going to short-side himself on greens, and he, he's going to hit it in weird places. And he, he puts a lot of stress on his nervous system across 18 holes. And more cow is the opposite. Everything's calculated. Everything's controlled. And it's really a recipe for long-term success. You can make as many memes as you want. I, that's, <laughs> that's my trophy at the end of the day. Um, yeah, it was a little heavier than I thought. Tilts a little bit. And uh, that happens. But who knows? I mean, I'm, I'm so happy my girlfriend's out here with me this week. Um, being back in San Francisco is obviously really special. Spending my last four years. Uh, there's just a lot to take in right now. But I, one word just sums it up is, is happy. You know, I'm excited. I'm, I'm thrilled. I want you to empty the notebook a little bit on us here because there were a few different compelling things this week, one of which is just the basic fact that you're at a PGA Tour event. Geographically, this was an advantageous week for you. You're only, what, a couple-hour drive away. Um, What's it like covering a PGA Tour event right now? The bubble is surprisingly intact these days. Yeah, it's actually really frustrating. I mean, it was, this is the first one I've covered um, since the, the restart and all the new protocols. Um, I did drive out to the Scottsdale Open, which, you know, had no fans, but a mini tour event like that's not going to have fans anyway, so it kind of felt right. But, uh, I mean, it's glorious for watching golf. There's nobody out there. You can stay on the tee boxes. You can hear everything. Um, there's an intimacy, and it's just uncluttered. There's, there's not grandstands. There's not porta-potties. There's not yahoos shouting. I mean, it's a wonderful experience to go out there and watch Tiger Woods with, you know, 10 other people. I mean, it's a treat. Uh, so that, that was really fun. 
but um, and watching golf is certainly part of our job, but more than anything, it's gathering information and telling stories. And it's really hard to gather information. I mean, there's very little access to the players. It's completely controlled. And, you know, the coin of the realm in this business is getting stuff that nobody else has. And that's kind of what I've tried to do my entire mm -hmm. career. It's impossible when, um, you know, they just they walk the player over and there's a lot of other reporters around and there's a transcriber. And so then, you know, at a major, it's hard to get players anyway. They're stressed out and they're working hard and they don't want to stop and talk. But you could always get the wives, the girlfriends, the swing coaches, the uh, short game coaches, the trainers, the nutritionists, the nannies. Like, you know, you go out and walk 18 holes and you, you find these people and they're happy to talk to you. But none of that, they're not here either. Or they're also inside the bubble on the other side. Right. So it was, it was an exercise in frustration for me because I just couldn't kind of do my job the way that I want to. I mean, um, you know how telling Lee's story worked out because I got some, I, I picked off some strays. The one time, and this wasn't really well thought out, there was this whole controlled environment. You know, we couldn't go to the locker room, we couldn't go to the player parking lot. The interviews were highly scripted, but to get to the, um, the driving range, the players would just walk. They'd cut across right in front of the first tee, walk down basically adjacent to the 10th fairway and then get to this makeshift range. But there was no, there was no ropes, there was no security guys. So I did that walk a lot. You know, you just kind of, guys didn't really want to stop, but it just you, you walk, you hold your arm out, you know, six feet away, and you could, you could get three, three or four minutes of interviews. And that, that was, you know, those are things you just have to stumble upon. And I wasn't, I don't even know if I was breaking any rules. I mean, they were just walking, <laughs> and I was walking, and we were just chit chatting. But so I was able to get some stuff, and you know, the kid that how tongue. Uh, Lee story you referenced, you know, what made that story was Ernie Els's quotes. So I got him by phone. You know, there's there's a lot of ways to do the job, but um, yeah, it was it was it was tough um, trying to uh, for me to adapt to the new normal of, uh, of just how it works. Did you learn anything about Tiger Woods this week? Well, you know, probably he shouldn't change putters. I think it starts with that. I mean, he putted well on Thursday, uh, but. You know, Friday and Saturday were two of the worst putting rounds of his life. And that was disconcerting to see because, you know, he's no longer a power player. Uh, so he's going to score. It needs to be the precision. It needs to be on the greens. And, um, I mean, he was driving it pretty well. But when he was in the rough, he just, he just does not have the the want to that these other guys do playing out the long mm -hmm. weeds. I think it's just like a protective instinct. Um, so, um you know, that was really discouraging to see Tiger putt so poorly. And I think, you know, throughout his career, he would take breaks and he'd come back and he would play really well. And sometimes he'd win, you know, like Torrey Pines when that was where right. he started. And he, he seemed like he's winning that every year. So he's always known how to, um, how to turn, you know, flip the switch. But I think it's different now with his body um, because it takes so much preparation to get his back where it needs to be. And when he, when he's at home, he's not really doing that. Right. Like it's, it's it, the intensity is not there. And so I think the game reps are really important right now. And, um, you know, I think Tiger can't just get off the couch anymore and, and show up and expect to contend. So, um, it's tough. The flip side of that is he can't play as much as he wants to. So finding that balance is, is going to be a challenge, obviously with the, Corona arriving on these shores, everything kind of was up for grabs, and uh, he was just trying to figure out like the rest of us. So, not going to worry too much about it. It always felt like, 
you know, Tiger's goal is always to win. We know that, but I always felt like this PGA championship was going to be more about building towards the future, building towards Wingfoot and Augusta, you know, to have, have no, basically no reps coming in. Uh, and, you know, the fact that he played pretty well on Sunday, even though, you know, he went out early when the course was softer and more, more gettable, but uh, he had some good shots. He made some putts and I think it gives him a little momentum going forward. So take me through then the resolution. Cause you set up the, uh, the Brooks and DJ Sunday showdown. Where do we stand with that now? What, what happened on Sunday? Well, I mean, Brooks just slipped on the banana peel. It was mm-hmm. embarrassing how bad he played. Uh, I mean, he tumbled down the leaderboard. Um, it's not a good look when you run your mouth that much and then, and then you just completely disappear. Um, obviously, he's been on an incredible run. It's fine for Brooks not to win the PGA Championship, but he's adding, again, like we are talking about with, with – uh, Morikawa, how he, he makes life easy. Brooks is making life harder now. He's he's he's, uh, he's kind of verbal shrapnel. He's, he's spraying all over the place, and you got to back that up. So uh, to see him play, this was his worst round in a long time when it matters. Uh, that was a stunner, and of course it would have been delicious if Dustin had won. That that would have been, you know, because obviously Brooks was disparaging Dustin, and he's only won one major, and he, he blown some opportunities. It, that is true, of course, but. It was a little impolitic to put it out there like that. And, um, but, you know, Dustin, it was just classic Dustin. He just he just let it get away. And uh, Well, and you've spent time around the two of these guys. Like, are they, they just not as tight as it once seemed? Or it's hard to know from the outside, I guess. I mean, so they, they the, the dynamic when I was, you know, I did that big feature and we hung out in the gym and um, – rode bikes and hung out at Brooks's house like the dynamic had not totally flipped you know Brooks was still like he had won one U.S. Open but but Dustin was still the big dog mm-hmm. all the PGA Tour victories he had all of the the clout on social media and I mean Dustin was still the guy and I think the relationship worked like that but when when Brooks usurped him as a player um, it it just it changed everything and um, I think they neither one really knew how to be the people in their orbit because you know they shared a trainer, they shared a, a chef, they uh, they shared the same management company, and it was all about Dustin. And now it was all about Brooks. And I think everyone was a little disoriented by the whole thing. And it, it was it was it was natural that there was going to be a little rupture. And then they had their dust up at the Ryder Cup uh, in Paris, which you know. It's like the white whale of golf journalism to get all those details. I've heard seven different versions of it. There's no doubt something happened. Exactly what we don't know. But, um, you know, I, I think that was kind of – you've been shaking that Coke can for a long time, and they popped the top and just kind of blew. And um, so clearly now that with Brooks sniping at Dustin, I mean, I think you can say the friendship's over. Can they still be cordial? Can they um, – I don't know. It, it definitely makes it a little more intriguing if they if they can go toe to toe like they did at, at Bethpage. But you know the fact is that Brooks can get it done and, and Dustin can't in the majors. I mean that's that's really the, the shorthand of, of their their careers. So uh, Brooks gets the last laugh until Dustin wins a few more. I want to leave on a positive note with a guy that I, I think you know pretty well, um, and that's Paul Casey, who's probably the happiest. Well, I guess he should be the second happiest guy in the tournament because he finished in second place. But his post-round comments really sounded like a guy that was happy to be there. Uh, you know, he, he sort of said, it's taken me 43 years to figure this out. But, 
you know, I seem to have the right balance now between life and golf. Is there anything that you got to talk to him about this week or just that you saw in his play where he, he just seemed like a guy who, you know, really put, put up one of the best performances of his entire career um, now that he's kind of at peace with things? Yeah, I mean, Casey's always had a very sunny personality, but, um, you know, there was that thing, uh, a comment got about American fans. Going, that's going back 15 plus years. It kind of put a cloud over him. He went through a divorce. Uh, you know, there's life has sort of gotten in the way, and um, he got he got remarried, started having kids. You know, so we know that changes a lot of things for um, for uh, for anybody, and especially a touring professional. So, uh, you know, his swing coach Peter Costa said a long time ago. He told me, you know, if Paul Case doesn't win multiple major championships, I'll be very disappointed. And that's always kind of hung over Casey that that um, the tease of his talent, which is considerable. And um, maybe now at 43, he's like, whatever, let's go out and play golf. And he, he can actually get out of his own way. And you know, maybe he'll pull a Darren Clark and uh, he'll, he'll get it done, you know, near the end of his career. But uh, yeah, he, he did seem peaceful out there. And he, he really played beautifully today. I mean, he was driving it great. And he had probably three birdie putts that expired about two inches short of the hole dead in the jaws i mean he he was close to really taking it deep and it just didn't quite happen but he looked controlled he looked he looked confident i mean no, no reason why he can't be a, a contender he's in great physical shape and uh, clearly is, is fired up about his game now so all right you've covered almost 100 majors this is the first one in the coronavirus era i wonder what your enduring takeaway is your your kind of vision when you remember back to this week what are you going to think of well it it's the overriding emotion is gratitude you know it was such a fun day it was so exciting twitter was melting the, the players were so into it and i mean let's face it the last the last uh five months has been a monumental challenge for all of us and there's been so much gloom and existential dread. And for about four hours today, we got, it was a pure escapism, which is, you know, what sports really is. And it was so fun to watch that shootout and have no idea what was gonna happen. And we got the finish we deserved. I mean, a great player doing, you know, epic things that are, that are gonna be remembered for a really long time. So uh, I, I think we, it, it was, it was a, it was a really good golf course. It was a really good winter. It was a really memorable Sunday uh, in a vacuum. But at this point in time, when every other sport is falling apart on the verge of getting shut down or not even starting, uh, it was a great moment for golf. I mean, yeah, it really was a, it was a tremendous show. And it was sort of nerve jangling. It was like a giddiness in the air. I mean, uh, you could pick up on if you were, if you were following, you know, follow, watching with friends or you're following on social media. So that was cool. I, I think we all needed this and we all deserved it. And I'm glad we got it. It, it was, it was kind of just, just, it felt like old time. And that's all you can ask for these days. All right, Chippy, you've got a, uh, you got a little bit of a drive home ahead of you. It's never healthy to spend any more time in the media center than you have to. All right. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the drop zone. Thanks to Alan Shipnick, who is now on the road back to Monterey County. Uh, and thanks to Lee Finer, who expertly produced this week's episode. And thanks to you guys for listening. Welcome back to Major Season. We'll see you next week.